welcome to hey great shot this is the great shot podcast a cracked rackets and tennis channel podcast network production my name is alex gruskin as you listeners know we here at cracked rackets are gearing up for the year's second grand slam the u.s open beginning this monday we are so excited of course for all of the action so many of our favorite men's and women's tennis players from across the globe all in one location in new york competing for that elusive grand slam title and of course in both the men's and women's games. So much uncertainty right now. Of course, all of us coming off a five and a half month layoff caused by the COVID-19 global pandemic. And so, yes, we've gotten to see in particular on the WTA side now, you know, three different weeks of events for the ATP. We've gotten to see the action in Cincinnati, but there's so much unknown about this year's U.S. Open, perhaps more unknown about this Grand Slam than any Grand Slam in tennis's past. So many different details for us to sift through. And again, that's what we've been trying to do here on the podcast this week. We've gotten the chance to talk with people such as Ben Rothenberg, Mark Lucero about, you know, our women's dark horses, our most interesting women to watch in New York. Now it's time for us to talk about our contenders, right? Who are the five, six players that we legitimately think can bring home the title in New York? And we've talked about a lot of them, of course, recapping all of the day's action on our mini break podcast when we do our ace of the day segments here on the Great Shot Podcast. We, of course, as well, give our picks for all of the day's actions, but sometimes it's best to just step back, look at a draw, and think to yourself, okay, who are the people that can actually win this event? And obviously, I am recording this intro-outro on Thursday. You'll be hearing this podcast on Friday. By then, you'll have had as much time as any to digest your initial reactions to those men's and women's AT, uh, U.S. Open singles draw. And look, obviously the draws are fascinating. They're their own podcast subject and rest assured listeners, we will be breaking down both the men's and women's draws, not only in podcast form, but in YouTube video as well, you'll be able to see our smiling faces as we talk about our favorite first round matches, the seeds on upset alert, all of the above, hardest quarter, etc., etc., etc. But for now, let's stick to our contenders because I, I've said this so many times over on this podcast over the past, it feels like a month. There are legitimately 50 players in the women's game who can compete to make the round of 16, maybe even more. You want to be, you know, a little bit more pessimistic. Legitimately, you can make a case for for 20, 30 women. It doesn't matter who you ask in the tennis world. That many players playing at that high of a level, that much uncertainty heading into the U.S. Open. 30 players legitimately feel like they could have a shot if things break right at winning this title. But of course, there are probably still players we should take more seriously than not. And that's what we're going to be doing here on today's podcast, trying to figure out which players you should consider contenders to win this year's U.S. Open. And there's no better guest I could think of to join me than someone you know for her work as a writer, producer, uh, you know, editor for Tennis.com, Baseline.Tennis.com, of course, host of the Tennis.com podcast and a member, fellow member of our Tennis Channel podcast network. Nina Pantic joins me on the show. You heard her on yesterday's mini break talking about the Western and Southern Open's decision to cancel Thursday's play. We figured we'd make it a two-part episode because I also wanted to talk to her about her top contenders for this women's 
Hogan's draw, give her initial reactions to the draw being released on Thursday. And it's such a great conversation with Nina, not to give a little podcast envy, but I now see why we're chasing her on the charts, right? She's that good at her job, so well informed, such just, it's just such a delightful episode. I can't wait for you listeners to hear this conversation. What also had me feeling encouraged was, yeah, there were some names we disagreed on, but on the big names, especially the less heralded names, there were a couple of contenders we both agreed on. And for me, given all the uncertainty, that means people are seeing what I'm seeing out there. And that has me feeling encouraged because what we here want to do at the Great Shot Podcast, of course, given our relationship with DraftKings, is give you listeners an edge up, right, in case you want to go to DraftKings and get in on all of the action. Hopefully, all of you have been following along with us with our GSP Ace of the Days now. Maybe, you know, hopefully you didn't pick with us on Wednesday, but hopefully you took advantage of our big victories on Tuesday. And, you know, we always say this, but we know our Cracked Rackets fans, the best educated, the most well-informed fans in the business. Why not take advantage of all of that knowledge with our friends at DraftKings? Here's how it works. You're going to go to DraftKings Sportsbook account and make a deposit. From there, DraftKings will match your first deposit at 20% up to $500. Make your first bet, and DraftKings will also match that with a risk-free first bet up to $500. Just go to dkng.co slash great shot to play. That's dkng.co slash great shot. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, 1-800-9 with it in Indiana, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Must be 21 years or older and in a participating state to take advantage of this offer. Deposit bonus is in DK dollars, which have no cash value and must be used on DraftKings. Offer not valid for users physically located in New Hampshire. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for more details. And if you go to DraftKings.com slash sportsbook right now, you in fact will see that as of this moment, DraftKings has Naomi Osaka as the odds-on favorite to win women's singles at this year's U.S. Open. Is that a take Nina and I disagree with? Do we agree with it? I don't know, but let's find out as we certainly discuss it in this podcast. So without further ado, here are our 2020 U.S. Open WTA contenders with the one and only Nina Pantic. And, and that gets me really, you know, again, to the reason I wanted to have you here today. We wanted to talk about these WTA top contenders. It's really, you know, you put the draw on a dartboard, you throw the dart at it. That name is probably as good of a pick as any. And we got our first look at the draws for this weekend. The women's draw coming out, of course, the top four seeds, uh, Carolina Pliskova, Sophia Kennan, Serena Williams, and Naomi Osaka. Uh, what were your initial reactions, Nina, to the draw? Okay, so this is like the most brutal question ever. And every year I feel like the women's draw is, is kind of open and almost anyone can take it. But this year feels exceptional because of all the big names that are missing. So my my initial pick for like who I think is a great contender obviously is going to be Serena Williams, Naomi Osaka. I picked Elise Mertens, Sophia Kennan, and then Petra Martic. I don't know why. I just feel good. Ooh. Ooh. Uh- Okay, so we're definitely going to have to get into Mertens, Martich. We're going to get into all of them, I promise. But that's... 
I like all those picks. Let me just start quickly recap for all of our listeners. No Barty, no Halep, no Svitolina, no Andrescu, no Burtons, no Benchich. That's six of your current WTA top 10 players. You're also missing players like, you know, Pavlchenkova, uh, Striskova, Kuznetsova, Gurgis, Ostapenko, you know, other other top 50 players as well. There are a lot of names missing from this list. And yet, even if Barty, Halep, Svitolina, Andrescu, Burtons, Benchich, if you want to throw them all as potential slam winners, that's fair. That would have just added more to the chaos. If anything, I think, you know, despite them not being here, that doesn't mean there's more parity. There might actually be a little bit less just because there are fewer really, really, really good players. But yeah, the depth on the WTA Tour right now is outstanding. A player who was on my list, I believe you said on your list as well, Sophia Kennan. I think she was the one who, if she's, you know, praying to the draw gods today, it's not going to be the kindest of tones. She's saying, are you serious? You gave me Vic Meyer, you know, round one, then potentially Zivana Raver, Fernandez round two, a Jabour round three, and Alexandrova or a Mertens round four, and then a Sabalenka quarterfinal. That's a murderer's row. That's a gauntlet. And, you know, Sophia Kennan obviously won the 2020 Australian Open. You can't count her out. But my first reaction to seeing the draw was, Jesus, that draw is difficult. It's brutal, but I think this is a player that's going to step up to the challenge. I think she enjoys, I think she's way more comfortable being an underdog and someone who's maybe counted out than a favorite. She's not used to being a favorite, let alone a number two seed at a Grand Slam. Like, this is uncharted territory. And she's only 21, so I think I think she's going to take this positively because that's who she is. She's a fighter. She's going to do everything she can to get through this draw. And, you know, it, it's it's not easy. And she had a weird summer. I think she did well at World Team Tennis, but it's such a different environment. And then she lost first round in Cincy. That was quite a shock. I don't really ever expect her to lose in like straight sets. I don't know why. In my head, I'm like, Sophia Cannon cannot lose in straight sets. It's not an option. She did. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think I think she'll take advantage of the fact that like maybe people are going to counter out. Like we just did. Like we're like, oh, that's a pretty tough draw. I don't know. That's, gonna, that's not going to work out for her. But I don't know. Yeah. No. Yeah, no, first of all, I agree with you. I thought for she was one overcooked forehand approach shot away from taking that second set against Cornet and then honestly probably winning that match, and I thought her level improved. She's got all the you know qualifications. She played a bunch of matches during the exhibition series. She looked good in those matches. She had momentum from early in the year. If you're looking for the little signs that separate players, you know, check, check, check. Now, if these courts are playing a little bit faster, do I think there are some players out there who, if they're hot, like an Osaka, like a Sabalenka could just hit her off the court. Yeah, I do think those players exist, but absolutely, as a competitor, that's why she has to be on your list, regardless of the draw. She's a Grand Slam champion, and that Grand Slam came after, you know, a three-title, I think, 2019 season where she was exceptional, which she built off of from her 2018, which was really good. It's been a slow rise for Sophia Kennan, but she's always had stardom in her trajectory, and she's now reached that point, so I agree with you. It would be ridiculous to count her out this early. Now, I do have some fun stats for you, Nina, about the U.S. Open. I went back, looked at the past five years. You ready to hear some numbers? Let's go. Okay. Five events, 2015 through 2019. Five different winners, nine different finalists out of a possible 10. The only person who did it more than once was Serena. 16 different semifinalists, the only people who did it more than once, Serena and Madison Keys, and 27 different quarterfinalists. Now, the people who did it more than once who are actually playing this event, Serena, Pliskova, Sevastova, Kvitova, Keys, and Sloan. Oh, and Venus. Sloan and Venus. So seven names right there. 
that just speaks to sort of, again, the parity we've seen over these past five years, right? You look at the Australian Open, it's same deal. Five different winners, nine different finalists, 16 different semifinalists, 29 different quarterfinalists. You know, again, eight of those 29 names aren't playing this event, and Mukarusa's questionable. I mean, I don't know. All of this is to say those stats, just I want you to know why I'm so unsure about calling anyone a contender at this point. You should be unsure. I'm unsure. I have no idea what we're trying to do here. So you're, I mean, it's it's completely ridiculous. And I think uh, it just goes to show how deep the women's game is. You know, people can argue it's because we don't have as many great champions. Like the men's side obviously has the big three. But I think this makes it more exciting. I mean, Serena's going to be a favorite Always, you can never count her out. So in a way, we have a big one, but it it, it makes it more interesting, but it makes our job really challenging. So for Tennis.com, we have to do these expert picks. I don't know who mm-hmm. made me an expert, and I can't pick anything. Like, I, I'm so bad at betting. So bad at betting. So it, it's not really betting, but the idea is you pick who's going to win, who's going to lose first round. It's this whole thing. And I picked uh, the winner as Elise Mertens, and I genuinely, like, I don't know. I think it's just because I think her setup is so good. The U.S. Open, I think she's playing so well. Semifinals, I think she's so, like, quiet and subtle. I thought that was a good call. But you know what? I'm second-guessing myself as I'm saying it. No, I love the Mertens pick. She is on my list as well. I will ask you, hold that thought for just one moment because I want to do the Serena Williams conversation first and we had Ben Rothenberg on the show we did a most interesting women to watch during the three weeks in New York Uh, she was on his list now you know we recorded that podcast before we saw Serena's performance here this week and since she pushed again to three set matches She's able to escape against Roos, wasn't able to do so against Sakari. You watched Lexington, you mentioned, as closely as possible. I did the same. We were covering it with the Tennis One app. Let's just, let, let's have a candid conversation here, Nina, and this is not what fans of Serena Williams will want to hear, but just objectively, her first two weeks of tennis— I just think they've been objectively poor. Like, she just, she has competed as well as Serena Williams always competes until that third cent against Sakari. And then the tennis has just, I just think there are too many other players who are playing better than her right now. I think if she wins this event at, you know, for slam number 24, arguably it's her most impressive slam title of her career. And I will be shocked. I don't consider her a top contender. I wouldn't have her on my list in my top five. I'd have her in my top 10 just because if you throw her out the top 10, you're just asking to be punished. But she is not in my top five, Nina. Am I crazy or am I justified in that selection you're not crazy you make you make good points I think her past few weeks have been pretty pretty bad you know she's she's fought and competed for most of it the last set against Sakari was the the kind of performance I would expect from like a 13 year old junior who had you know should have won second set and did it and they're really they're having a they're having a like a conniption she literally had a fit but to her defense, she did own up to it in press. And I really love that because usually in press, she's like really glum and sad and short after she loses. But instead, she was kind of very vulnerable and honest and even a little funny. So I'm going to give her credit. But I think Serena really shows up to the slams. I don't think she really cares about winning Lexington or Cincy. Like no offense at all to any of those tournaments. She shows up for the slams. It's a different Serena Williams. And that's the only reason that I'm going to put her as like a contender because no matter what, she's going to try and do her best at a slam. And it's yeah. a weird year, obviously. She's playing kind of weird. I don't know. I, you're not You're not unjustified. 
Yeah, well, I, you again, you talk about uh, between those two uh, Grand Slams, Australian Open, U.S. Open, the past five years, who has the most quarterfinals appearance? It's Serena with seven. You know, she's one ahead, I believe, of Pliskova, who's got six, uh, I think. And believe me, we're going to get to Plis- or I think Pliskova's got five, excuse me, but we'll get to the Pliskova conversation in a second. Um, yeah, it's just... Look, I mean, her best win on the year probably came back in Auckland when she beat Pagula in that final, or I think that was in Auckland. It was one of those warm-ups for the Australian Open. And then, obviously, that third-round loss to the Australian Open in three sets, that was concerning. Um, you know, at, at top seed, at, yes, she beat Para, Yes, she beat Venus, but... I don't think she played particularly well. And in that match against Shelby Rogers, that 6-1 first set was, it was because Shelby Rogers had yet to find her range. And once she did, she was able to get Serena stretch, was able to hold serve and, you know, win that match 7-6 in the third. I just, yeah, I I agree with you. you. You never count out Serena Williams, the competitor. Never, not ever, not ever. And she has competed really, really well, but Without the crowd there to back her to give that extra 10% of intimidation to the opponent, I think for Serena, the crowd, it's not about what it does for her. It's about what it does to her opponent and for her opponent to not have the entire crowd rooting against them. I just think with her level of play, I don't know. I mean, you look at her draw, my initial reaction was it wasn't horrible. I mean, you know, I think Teichman could absolutely take out Keys in the second round, and then you see the big seed in her section knocked out. The potential for a Sakari Serena rematch would also be fun, and I know Bernarda Perez in there, but I don't know. This is probably the most apprehensive I felt about Serena in my entire life heading into a slam. You're not unjustified. I, I do see what you're saying. And your point about the crowd is really strong because it, it's true. I think she can pump herself up, no problem. I think it's what the crowd does when Serena is playing, how they root for her so much, like no matter what, especially at the U.S. Open. I mean, that's ridiculous. So mm-hmm. you make you make a good point. I just I just think it's hard to counter out. I remember one year I like counted Roger Federer out, and I was like, I'm never going to make a mistake like that again. And I count Serena <laughs> in that, and I'm like, you know what? I'm never going to go against the goat. So she's in there. Yeah. No. Another thing we have in common is counting Roger Federer out too soon. I was done with him in 15, and then 17 happened, and I was like, oh. So we're not done with this. Um, So yeah, I completely feel you there. But let's get to another name you mentioned, a name I am so excited to discuss, a semifinalist at the Western Southern Open, someone who is going to be taking on Naomi Osaka in Friday's semifinal, Elise Mertens. And for those of you who haven't been following closely, although if you're a Cracked Rackets fan, we know you are following closely, you know Elise Mertens already this year in the restart has made a final. She lost to Simona Hallett. Uh, in Prague, I believe. She also played in Palermo and had a first-round loss there to Sasnovich, but to see her immediately bounce back from that, make that final, obviously here in uh, New York this week, she's gotten a couple of really good wins, three-set win over Mladenovic, straight sets over Kudermatova, and then obviously really high level of play yesterday in knocking off Jessica Pegula. You look at Elise Mertens, and one thing it's worth saying, yeah, she hasn't won a Grand Slam yet in singles, but her and Sabalenka, double champions last year at the Open. She was also a quarter finalist last year at the Open. She's made the semifinals of a slam before doing it in 2018 at the Australian Open. 24 years old and part of a generation. My four favorite players of late have been her, Conteve, who we're going to get to on this list, Sakari, and Vekic, just because, you know, everyone's focused on Kenan Andrescu, Osaka, Goff, but everyone's focused on Halep, Pliskova, Serena, but you always forget about those players who are now right starting their 
prime who are capable of some really good tennis. Elise Mertens, to me, is just, you know, you highlight that name. Put it in bold. She is absolutely someone, I think, who can win this U.S. Open. You obviously agree. I do agree. I think she keeps things very simple. She's very dedicated to the game. Like I mentioned earlier, her boyfriend is her coach. Her team is very small. She She's just been very, very impressive and very stoic, very I guess quiet is the word. She's not a big name. She's not flashy, but something about her is just working. And she meant, you mentioned the final in Prague. That was a strong performance. And to, you know, to come from six months off and then do that is, is, is always impressive. And then semifinals at the Cincinnati tournament. I don't know. I just, something about her is just working. And I think, I think she's a player who's not going to be remotely affected by the whole no fans thing. I don't think she cares. And then she's, she trains at the Kim Kleister's Academy, right? Has Kim Kleister's there. I think that's got to be a bit of a boost. I'm sure Kim will give her some support. I mean, that's, you can't ask for much more than that. No, completely agree with you there. And look for uh, Mertens in her career. And maybe that's why Kleisters is actually out on court watching all these matches. She's scouting for the inevitable Mertens final. She knows she's going to get that call uh, a couple of days down the road. But look, one top 10 win in 2017, two in 2018, three in 2019. She obviously a really good result for her, I believe, at the Qatar Open in 2019. I think she made the final there that year. Uh, that was obviously a real... Oh, she won it. Excuse me. Yeah, she beat Halep in the final. She won. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, she made it was the final in Prague. She lost to Halep. I was like, there's a win and a loss versus Halep. I'm confusing them right now. But yeah, she's won high-level events before. You know, that's a premier event. And so in terms of all the check marks, has she made a major final yet in singles? No, but she has done it in doubles. And so that butterfly effect, yeah, it's a little bit different, but at least she does have a little bit of institutional know-how. I'm fascinated to see how her and Osaka play head-to-head because on these quick courts, the Osaka serve just looks untouchable. And same thing, some of the ground strokes she's producing, when she wants to turn into your forehand, you're just like, okay, this point is over. And I do think for Lise Mertens, good mover, but not a great mover. And she gets away with that with some anticipation skills. But Osaka's the sort of player who can just hit you off the court. And I'm really interested to see how that matchup goes for her. Because again, I I wouldn't put Mertens in that Osaka, Sabalenka, Yashima, Stremska category of, oh my god, if they're playing their best tennis, this is going to just be the best tennis you'll ever see in your life. But she can do so many things well on the court, and so I could see her having just a really solid two weeks. Exactly, but I don't see any of those players playing their best tennis. I know that the kind of tennis you're describing there is when they play that lights-out, perfect match, like Petra could have at at Wimbledon, like that kind of flawless (laughs) tennis. I don't think we're going to see that because these players are not in their rhythm. So that's why I think, Elise, this is her shot. Yeah, can I give the counterpoint to that is in a time when people aren't match tough, wouldn't you think hypothetically that the people who can make points easy for themselves, big serves, just quick point rotations that they have some sort of advantage because even if they're not playing their best, they don't have to play their best because things are just a little easier for them? Oh, I don't know. I, th- I don't agree with that because I think when you're not match tough, you don't dial it in so well. So you'll miss that big first serve. You'll miss that big first forehand. And that's why I think Jen Brady got the Lexington title. And, you know, Halep is someone who's not reliant on big first strike tennis. And she got the Prague title. It kind of all kind of makes sense. I don't know. Yeah. No, I... This is why I like having you on this show. I think that's a perfectly fair counterpoint. Yeah, and again, match toughness so crucial well to be just a big ball. Yeah, yeah, you nailed it. You're right. You've convinced me. Okay, I'm going to... Well, I had Sabalenka on my list just because I thought it was a good win. Yeah, good win for her over... <laughs> I thought 
it was a good win for her over Bellis. And the thing that impressed me the most, because you've seen a good Sabalenka performance, and then oftentimes you can see it followed by a stinker. And, you know, for Sabalenka, she won a big title earlier this year on the hard courts as well. But I thought the thing that impressed me most in her match against Pegula, uh, Sabalenka played really well. Jess Pegula was just playing just outstanding tennis. And I thought Sabalenka physically bounced back really well from the Bellis match. And I thought her level of play was a lot higher than I saw in Lexington. And for Sabalenka, that's what I'm saying. If she has, you know, two, three matches she can get through in week one, if she's feeling confident heading into week two, she's got the upside. And she's also on that Merton's trajectory where it just feels like, okay, yep, this makes sense. I agree with you, except her second round could be with Victoria Azarenka, and that's why I was like, this might not be her tournament because Sabalenka is poised for a Grand Slam breakthrough. Absolutely agree, 100%. But Azarenka has looked good. I was going to say, can you can you give me the Azarenka? Because I, I, I could not agree more, and that's an all-country you know, all matchup, which always means something. It does. It adds a little bit more pizzazz to the match. I don't so, so Victoria Azarenka has had a really tough time, I think, the past couple of years. It's not been smooth for her. She hasn't been playing the way she should have been playing. There hasn't been any titles. It's not, you know, it's not what we expected from her comeback, and it's been a long comeback, so it's not even a comeback anymore. But now, her first semifinal in a while, I think that really gives her so much confidence going in, and this is a player that should be deep in the Grand Slams. And her draw isn't, I mean, it's not so bad. I think she could take out Sabalenka. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I'm really excited to see Azarenka. It was a really good win for her against Jabor, although I think that was another one of those matches yesterday where should Jabor have won that first set, I think she probably wins that second set as well. She just blew a couple of set points, and, you know, mentally you could just tell she was a little bit cooked after that. But, all right, in that category of player, Azarenka, I'm going to throw Kleisters in there. Kvitova probably deserves to be in a separate conversation, especially given how fast these courts are playing. But, you know, the Kleisters, Azarenka, Venus, uh, uh, you know, type of player. Do you think either any of those three, the veterans, because I say this respectfully, I I think anyone who thinks Kim Kleisters or Venus can legitimately win the U.S. Open, I just disagree with that. For them to stay that healthy, play that well for two weeks, given how many good players there are, I just don't think they're capable of that at this point in their career. And that's not to say they can't rip off a really good win or even two really good wins in a row. It's when you get to that seven number that I start to be apprehensive. I do not consider them contenders. After Azarenka's week this week, it's hard to say she's not, given how well she's played, but I probably would throw her in the no category as well. Your thoughts on those three former champs? I definitely think that you're right about Venus and Kim. I mean, I don't see them losing, you know, necessarily first round, though Venus is a brutal first round in Carolina Mukova. But but in either way, I think Kim has been injured, right? Like midway World Team Tennis season, she had this ab injury, and she hasn't recovered from that. And that was, at this point, over a month ago. So that's concerning. Big red flag on her for that. And then Venus, I don't know. As much as I love her, I just don't see this this working out for her this week either. She's been very up and down. World Team Tennis, she like couldn't put together a match and then had a pretty decent... I mean, obviously she beat Azarenka in Lexington. That was huge, but it just was only one match. So like you said, seven matches is a lot. She's 40 years old. It's, it's brutal to say no, but I don't think so. And then Azarenka of those three definitely would be most likely to go far and but she is younger by quite a bit so I wouldn't I mean she's on similar category but a little different yeah no I I think you nailed it there yeah I it's you know again 
to say they're not contenders is not to say we don't appreciate them when they are on the court and to not think that we don't think they can win matches. It's when you get to that seven number and just being realistic about it, given the uncertainty of the physical status of all of these players after five and a half months to say, go with the player who's, you know, 32 plus, uh, it's just a risky move. And, you know, for some of these instances, it's even higher than that. And so, yeah, you know, that's just something to keep in mind. A name on both of our lists we haven't talked about yet. Oh, we talked about, obviously, uh, her decision not to play on Thursday, but we should talk about her play as well, because the eight-game stretch she ripped off against Conteve yesterday, or maybe it was nine games, she was down a set and two love. She rips off the second set 6-2. I think she went up 2-0, maybe even 3-0 in that third set. That was the best tennis of any player I have seen, man or, uh, you know, woman, thus far in New York. She just... There was nothing Conteve could do. Osaka was just in one of those modes where it's like, you know what, I'm going to hit this for a winner. I'm going to hit this for a winner. I'm going to hit this one for a winner too. She is in that elite category of player where when she plays her best tennis, it doesn't matter what her opponent is doing. To see her make the semifinals this week, obviously that's so encouraging. She came back from a set deficit in her first and her first match and now in this quarterfinal match as well. And I think she looks just so fit. I think she's hitting the ball so well. I think she justifiably, and you know, uh, we here at Cracked Rackets, obviously sponsored by our friends at DraftKings. She is the DraftKings odds on favorite right now to win the women's event. I think that's just where you have to go. In a time of uncertainty to see Osaka play the way she has this week, I mean, I have been so impressed with her. What do you think, Nina? It's also super impressive because she hasn't played since the Australian Open. That's ridiculously huge. And we've talked so much about match playing, people playing exhibitions and getting matches under her belt. She has not played since January. To come in this hot and like looking this good is so impressive. And the fact that she's lost a set and come back does not surprise me. You can see she's so calm. Even when she loses a set, she's very calm about it. She's very confident and she has a an air about her right now that's different. Maybe it's because of all the off-court stuff, a level of maturity and confidence and stability in her life, and it's showing in her in her tennis. Uh, but I yeah. think she's on a huge favorite at the U.S. Open. I just part of me wouldn't be surprised though if she takes a stand and you know decides to pull out of that. I don't. I don't know. Like you just can't can't really pick her right now. I don't know. But it's yeah. it's a fascinating time and tennis wise, she's been rock solid. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, the thing I want more than anything else from any match in the U.S. Open is a rematch of Conteve Osaka in the round of 16. And I, I said this earlier, Annette Conteve is on my list of players who can win the U.S. Open. She was a quarterfinalist uh, earlier this year in Australia. I think she was a quarterfinalist. I don't remember if it was in Doha or Dubai, but she quarterfinaled in one of them. She obviously quarterfinaled here as well. She made, I think it was a final in Palermo, right? Uh, Conteve made that final. I mean, certainly she has played uh, a bunch of tennis and done well thus far in the return. Uh, let me look that up. I don't want to be wrong. I know, yeah, final in Palermo, she lost to Farah, who was playing so well. But, you know, Conteve beat Petra Martic in that event. Petra Martic was playing such good tennis uh, and on the clay, her slice so effective. I've, you know, tweeted out my affection for the Petra Martic slice many a times before, so I don't have to do that tangent right now. But Conteve is a player who, you know, early in her career had a lot of ups and downs, but much like a Mertens is now at that point, age 24, where the physical side and the mental side of the game start to co- 
more or less beautifully. And she is just clearly playing her best tennis in 2020. She's another player fit as a fiddle right now. I think as fit as she has ever been in her career. And she played outstanding yesterday against Osaka. In that first set, she took it to her. Now, Osaka hit a level that, you know, maybe only Serena Williams playing her best tennis can reach. And that's why Naomi Osaka is so special. But Annette Conteve is a player who has won, you know, four matches now in, or three plus matches in multiple events. Clearly, she's match tough here in Cincy. Two really good wins for her over two of my dark horse candidates in Jill Teichman and Marie Buzkova. I think Conteve is absolutely a threat. And, you know, being in the Naomi Osaka portion of the draw, that hurts. But I think she could win this thing as well. And so I would, I, I hope we get to see a matchup between the two of them again. That's a good pick. It's a very strong pick. She does have a nice little section, though, before she gets to Osaka. She opens against Daniel Collins, and then the other seed is Magda Lynette, who is a phenomenal player, but I could see Contivate running through that section. And it was impressive as well in Cincinnati because Contivate won her first couple matches really strong. Like I, think, I don't think she lost more than like three or four games per set. She was really cruising. So high level of play from her, and she also has a really cool accent, but that's irrelevant. <laughs> well, let me just say, inject that Collins Conteve match into my veins because that is going to be explosive. It's going to be great. I'm really excited to see. I'm excited to see how players that are so energetic manage to maintain that. Collins is somebody that said in the Cincinnati Pressers that she doesn't care what where she is, who's watching. She's going to compete and be super into it no matter what. And that's something you really, I mean, really going to appreciate when we're watching this on TV and trying to, you know, you want to be entertained still, even though it's it's tennis and you're used to there being so much crowd, you know, support and energy. You still want to be entertained even when there is no crowd. So we're going to see how that goes. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. And, you know, what else is interesting is we have been in this conversation for 30 minutes now, and we haven't mentioned the number one seed in this event, Karolina Pliskova, who, you know, one of those players who has made a final of the U.S. Open in the past five years. And here's the list of players playing this event who have made a final in the past five years. Serena, Osaka, Sloan, Kerber, Pliskova and Keys. So she's one of six players who has actually done it through a two weeks, made it to a final. Um, I mean, look, for Karolina Pliskova, it feels like the past six years she's gotten that, oh, she's going to win this one. Oh, she's going to win this one. Oh, she's going to win this one. Okay, maybe she's, you know, and it started to get more and more concerning. And, you know, obviously for her being the number one seed this year, uh, here this year, that's more indicative of what she did in 2019 than what she's done so far in 2020. Third round exit for her in the Australian Open. And yet you look at her past, you know, four years of results, finals in 2016, quarter finals in 17 and 18 fourth round here last year are we selling Karolina Pliskova too short yeah it was a bad performance for her in her first round match against Kudermatova but she is the number one seed you're gonna think I'm an absolute lunatic so I mentioned the tennis.com expert pick story that went out so I picked her to lose like first round basically (laughs) I love it no 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 I like you even more I picked her. It's called. It's called like the biggest bus. You have to be seated ten or higher. So it's kind of hard. And I picked her because I thought she was really like I don't know, just really off in her Cincinnati first round. I mean, I know she played a great player and uh, Veronica Kudermetova, but still, she just didn't seem really all there. I don't know. I just and her draw is brutal. I mean, I think Angelina Kalina is an incredible talent. She's from Ukraine. She's super, super good and someone that's a, an incredible dark horse. That's a challenging first round. She's in the same second as Jen Brady, and I'm a huge Jen Brady fan. I think Jen Brady has been playing some incredible big ball tennis, and that kind of 
loopy, heavy top spin is going to be tough for Pliskova. So I don't know. I picked her to lose. So I be- I believe when we talked last, you were coming from Midland. And didn't Kalnina make the final in Midland this year? Did. And she had this, like, bizarre injury. It was like a foot yeah. blister. And I think she just was, like, I don't know, overcome by the situation going into the final. So a first round against a top seed, she's not going to be nervous about having to perform. None of that's going to be a problem. She's going to be fine. And she's going to, I don't know, I think she's going to really take it to her. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good pick. And then, you know, also in that section, round two, the winner of Paulini and Garcia, that's not a cakewalk. The winner of, pro- you know, either Jennifer Brady, maybe even CeCe Bellis, round three, that's not a cakewalk. And then, you know, uh, Ali Risk, who was playing so well prior to the stop, or maybe even an Angelique Kerber, who perhaps by round four starts rocking and rolling, particularly on these fast courts. It's... I've never given this, you know, this little thought to a number one seed, and I am, you know, color me in the big Pliskova believer category. I think when she plays her best tennis, the thing she can do with a tennis racket, sometimes she hits like a swinging forehand volley, and she'll be in like in the, you know, the vomit zone. She'll be in between the service line and the baseline, but she'll be sitting a, the inside in swinging forehand volley, like right in between the two, and it'll just go in, and you're just like, oh my god, like maybe three other players on tour could execute that, and so maybe. Maybe this is the circumstance when no one believes in Karolina Pliskova, when everyone's written her off that she could just comes out and rips off an incredible two weeks. But I don't know. Yeah, there's nothing in her play of late to indicate that she's ready to do that. Yeah, I, I mean, I just it's, it is very, very weird to be picking against the top seed. But that's just the kind of place that we're in right now. Like the, the draw is crazy. There's so many contenders. I'm going to talk it more up to other people being more likely to do well. That's not really a, a dig against Pliskova, of course. You know, we have a former finalist. This is an excellent player, and she has such a good game for hard courts. The courts are playing a little faster. Who knows? I'm not, again, I'm not a, I'm not a good gambler, but I just, I just have <laughs> other players that have stood out to me a lot more, especially Jen Brady. So, you know, that section to me belongs to Jen. No, I think that's completely fair. Well, one other name you mentioned at the top that we have not gotten to, I believe, was Petra Martic, who is the number eight seed here in the Pliskova portion of the draw. She has, I believe, Martin Sova uh, in her first round. Then she would play the winner of Kikbad Duranko. Her seeds uh, in her section, Vondrusova, Putinseva, and Mladenovic. Give me the case for Petra Martic because I'm always down to listen to a good case. Okay, so I was really impressed with her on clay. So that's kind of an issue because obviously we're playing on hard courts now. But I just think that she's in such a good place in her career. I mean, it's just an interesting time for her because she's ranked so high. And then on top of that, getting this really high seating. I don't know. It's something about the way she was playing. She made the semifinals in Palermo. And, you know, yeah, she was a top seed there. She probably should have won, but lost to Contivate, who we've already raved about. Something about the way that she's acting and, like, her maturity and her comfort level and like obviously she's a little bit older now she's 29 I don't know I think her time is now and the eight seeding is a huge boost her section of the draw is pretty great we mentioned Mladenovic is the other seed in her section then she might go up against who Marketa Vondrasuva who has been MIA for a long time with injuries she's in the same section of the draw as Carolina Pliskova who have already knocked out that's kind of where my head was with her. It wasn't so much about her recent results, even though she has been strong on clay. It's more about her draw and the opportunity and kind of where her headspace is at. Yeah. I mean, 
so to to echo your point, if you watch the event in Palermo, and how could you not after the long pause we had uh, in tour play? I was glued to it, and I was ready to spend. You know, I was ready to declare Petra Martic my favorite for the French Open because the slice when it's working, the backhand, the variety she can play with. She is clearly as fit as anyone on tour. Uh, she's playing some really really outstanding tennis, and so yeah, I think she has to be taken seriously. I also agree with you when you look at her draw, Mladenovic is a seed you would want in your section, and she doesn't have the dangerous floater, right? There's no Pegula in this section. There's no Jill Teichman in this section. There's no Marie Buzkova in this section. By the way, the rudest thing the tennis draw gods could have done to me was have Pegula and Marie Buzkova play round one, because I was... I was so ready to be like it's in my circle, you know, uh, on whatever uh, Tourney Topia is. I think the website we do it on, where I was going to have Buzkova in round of sixteen, Pegula in round of sixteen, and have that advantage over everyone else. And now that's not going to be the case. Um, but you know, yeah, it's just ridiculous. But I think Martich, it's a good section for her. There's not a power hitter I can see here who can just blow her off the court. And unless you can do that, it's really tough to beat her. I agree. Yeah, so I'm I'm with this. Now, here's the thing. When I say she's a contender, I think she could get to the quarterfinals. Do I think she could make a semifinal final run? No, because I think that's when she... Like, if it was a Mertens-Martich matchup on the hard courts, I'm taking Mertens. If it's Kenan-Martich, I'm taking Kenan. A lot of these other contenders I like more. But in terms of deep run into a second week holding seed, and by the way, to hold seed right now in a WTA draw is about the most difficult thing you can do. She's a candidate to do so for sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think it's just such a hard, it's just a tricky time to try and make these picks and figure out who's the highest contenders when really everyone has a shot. And that's kind of maybe the most beautiful part about this crazy, terrible year is that this is really a fortnight of opportunity and players hopefully look at it that way. No, I completely agree with you. Well, then, you know, I I believe we hit all of your contenders. So my last two questions for you. My first one is any other name in this draw, maybe unseeded, maybe a lower seed just floating that you would say, hey, listeners, just take a flyer on this person. Definitely Allison Risk. I think she's in the top half as well. She's in that section with Kerber and Pliskova. And I think she's always going to be a bit of a dark horse. Even though she's seated number 13, people don't think of that seriously. And she's playing phenomenally and she's always such a good competitor, especially on hard courts, especially in America, though, does that really mean an advantage anymore? No, but she's got a good attitude, and I think that's going to be paying off dividends in the bubble. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I love that. I will say that on the flip side, for me, that, that you know, Osigwe and Buzkova, Pagula, Yastremska, uh, Shelby Rogers, Rybikena, Conteve, that they're all in the same quarter of the draw. Coco Goff in that quarter just so crushing to me those are all names I was like yeah second week spread them out across the draw I could see them all making moves and they're all great but you know a name we haven't talked about maybe should have been a top contender on a on a on a surface this quick I know she lost her match to Buzkova but is there a world where Petra Kvitova gets hot for two weeks and wins the event I don't know. That's the thing is that she's been, <laughs> no. I didn't even think she was going to play the U.S. Open. So, you know, for her to be no. here is great, but I don't know. I haven't put that much thought into her at all. She's in a, I mean, she's in a good section of the draw. So yeah, I think we should definitely include her. Same as Joanna Conta. I think she's found another yeah. gear, definitely found another level in her game this past week. So that's somebody else to keep an eye on, but you just never know how they're going to handle the pressure and not, not being used to, to playing at this grand stage, even though it's un unwatched it's it's still a big deal 
Yeah, especially for Conta after the health scare she had in Lexington, too. It was just to see her rip off a semifinal run was not what I expected this week. So, again, a lot of unexpected things. And with that in mind, I get to ask you the worst question you can be asked right now as someone in tennis media. Give me your picks for the women's champion. And then if you want to throw in your men's champion as well, I will happily take that, too. i got to stick with my tennis.com expert pick story and go with Elise Mertens, even though that's... Probably ridiculous, but I'm going with the least. <laughs> I'm sticking to it. That's not a ridiculous pick. It's not a ridiculous. It's pick. not ridiculous, but it just it, you know a first time winner. It's always I, I mean I usually play it safe and I'll just pick past winners, but that's not really an option. So and then the men's side, I, I chose Novak Djokovic because I'm just a risk taker. <laughs> At least you're consistent, taking risks on both sides. I like that. I appreciate that. Well, Nina, uh, not only do I appreciate you coming on to the podcast today, but I appreciate all the work you do. One of my favorite reads whenever I see you publish a new article, whenever I see a new Tennis.com podcast. So for all of our listeners out there who want to read your work, follow more of what you're doing, where can they find you? Um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at ninapantic one and all my work goes on tennis.com and baseline.tennis.com. So by all means, check it out. Yeah, I love it. Well, Nina Pantic, you are always invited back on this podcast. In fact, I'm just warning you now, expect at least one to two texts from me over the next two weeks as this U.S. Open goes on. I love it. Keep up the great work. You're doing a great job. Uh, thank you very much, Nina. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Tennis.com's Nina Pantic. And again, be sure to go follow more of her work at Tennis.com on the Tennis.com podcast. It's always a pleasure to get to work with her. And I'm telling you, listeners, expect to hear more from her in particular a lot over these next two weeks as we try and break down all of the action in New York. And we know the U.S. Open's coming up next week, but still a little bit of action to get through for this Western and Southern Open. If you've missed any of the week's play, you want to catch up on any of the matches, go check out our mini break podcast, Jamie McDonald and I breaking down each day's best matches, analyzing, you know, the trends we see emerging, which players are playing best, which players need to hit the drawing board, of course, previewing the next day's action as well. Be sure to follow along with us through these big tournaments. We'll be going on weekends as well because we don't want you fans to miss out on any of the action. Of course, plenty of U.S. Open preview content as well, a bunch of great shot podcasts articles on our website, crackrackets.com as well. Hopefully all of you have been following along with our picks on our GSP Aces of the Day. Of course, if you yourself want to get in on the action, just go to dkng.co slash great shot. You can start playing with our friends at DraftKings right away. So many matches through the first week of a Grand Slam, folks. That's really the money-making time. So that is your time to get in on all of the action, dkng.co slash great shot. And of course, we are well aware, draws are out now. Men's and women's U.S. Open, it's a reality, folks. It's happening. And after five and a half months, let's just say, yep, you know, let's go. That's awesome. Obviously, we are so excited about that fact. Uh, So, of course, we will be doing our draw previews this weekend. You'll be able to hear those in podcast form as well as hear uh, see them in visual form with some beautiful effects from our super producers on our YouTube channel. Again, if you missed any of our content, CrackedRackets.com, this podcast, the Mini Break Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, Inside Out Podcast, like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. We're always so grateful when we hear from any of you. And, of course, 
you want to message us directly. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, it's at Cracked Rackets. I'm on Twitter, at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in, day out. We are keeping them busy, folks. And, you know, that's because we know how much great content there is over these next three weeks. We don't want any of you to miss out on any of it, of course. A huge thank you to our friends at DraftKings for their continued support. A huge thank you to our Patreon subscribers for their continued support as well. We are really looking forward for the, uh, to this year's second Grand Slam getting underway. And hopefully after all of these podcasts these past couple of weeks, you listeners will feel ready for that action to start as well. But with that being said, for my wonderful guest, Tennis.com's Nina Pantic, our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at DraftKings, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. Hey, great shot, and we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.